also hello. Hi. We are officially recording. <laughs> Look at us. Look at us. <laughs> Making art. Making art. We're true artists. With us. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Approach this every week as if it were a work of art. Oh my God. I definitely didn't do a whole lot of my research today. I didn't start During work today. Nope. I didn't finish mine today. No. Nope. I didn't think to myself, oh shit, I need to finish that today. No, nope, not know. once. Not once. Not once. Nope. Um, welcome to Babe Town. Son of a bitch. Started early this time. Yeah. I thought about this in the shower. In fact, <laughs> I planned this out. I was like, I'm going to get her. It's it's literally going to turn into, hi, welcome to Babe Town. Yeah, it's going to turn into like a regular. Yeah, a normal podcast. A regular, like, professional back And all 15 of our listeners are like, yes, please, can you just. <laughs> like, please, Lord. That is all we've been wanting. And we're like, no, it's not going to happen. No, I'm sorry. Maybe a year in. Which we're getting really close to. I mean, September. Oh, my gosh. No, no. August 19th. Dang, dude, we are really close to a year. That is We're crazy. That is crazy. I know. <laughs> what are we going to do for our year episode anniversary? I don't know. It's going to be so cute. It's going to be so cute. Oh, my God. It's going to be the cutest shit I've ever. I'm going to puke all over this computer. If I'm. Oh, a flashback one, but we're like, they're the flashbacks that haven't actually been filmed yet. Ew, oh my god, is he saying, like, a clip show that's not a clip show? Yes. The clips you didn't see? I love that idea. Taylor's a big fan. Huge. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, if I'm still using this piece of shit computer... Yeah. ...when we hit our year mark... Yeah. I am gonna throw it against the wall. Ooh, that could be fun. That could be a fun cement, extra... So extra audio that we were just talking about just sound of your computer smashing yeah although I, I feel like this computer is the nokia brick of computers so really it would dent my cement wall somehow and nothing would happen to it you have cement walls i do which is great for like i work out in my apartment and so nobody can hear me and that's awesome Mm-hmm. And I can always turn up my TV shows really loud and, like, play music and be as loud as I want. Uh, it's terrible for hanging anything. Yeah, I would bet. We had a coat rack fall a few days ago. So we're just going to get a freestanding one. There you go. I wish that our walls were cement because um, I literally told Evan this morning that our house was going to fall down if we ever get another earthquake. Uh, because there are so many cracks in our walls. <laughs> like... So many cracks in the walls. So, you know. How about for our... Oh, it's coming up too quickly. I keep thinking it's, like, really far off, but it's really not. I was going to say that, like, you should come here or I should go there. We can record one together. Ugh. How dare you say this to me. How was your week? It was bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's you know. Um, Chicago went to the the next phase this week. Oh yeah, and everyone took that as hooray. No one needs masks. Let's all go to the beach. Everything. It's all normal. Mhm. Which a lot of people have used the cops being incredibly distracted as an excuse to get onto the beach because they were posted out there. Um, but I think the, uh, the police are onto their antics because they were back today. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, it's been, it's been weird. Although we hung out with people in their backyard and we were talking to them and hanging out with them in their backyard. And it was great. That is great. I got a little sunburned. I'm sure you can see. I can't really, but... Is it because my face is always red? Thanks. Wow, rude to yourself. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The uh, Reagan is incredibly pale sunburn jokes have been flying for days. I bet. 
No, it's just because everything on my computer looks very grainy all the time. Cool. Um, that's great. I'm glad that you got to yeah. see people. And it, I mean, I've spent, I don't know, a, a period of time. It's been a lot of reflection and learning and listening and reading. It's been a lot of reading, mm-hmm. um, which has been really good. And it's very comforting when you come across a writer or leader that's like, hey, I know that you're ingesting a lot of contradictory information of like, you need to be silent. No, you need to speak up. You need to do this. No, you can't just do that. You need, you know, like there's a lot going on as long as you do something mm-hmm. and are committed to learning and actively doing something, not just mm-hmm. while it's cool and while it's trending, but like continuing on once the fad is over. Yeah. That's what we need is, Keep your foot on the gas pedal. Just keep doing stuff. Don't let the the trend wear out. And then, oh, suddenly it's back to normal. Like, just keep going. Yeah. So that's been really nice. It was a nice word of encouragement this week. How are you? How's your week been? It's been okay. It's been okay. Um, we've had a record-breaking number of consecutive thunderstorms so um we basically have a monsoon season going which is real weird for anchorage um so it's like beautiful during the day and then at like four o'clock it rolls in and it's just thundery and lightning and hey at least climate changes are real (laughs) it's not real so don't have to worry about that um so that's been it's been both really great and kind of shitty because shitty for my head, but great because I love thunderstorms. Yeah. Like so much. I love them. So it's been, I don't know. It's been shitty, but like also kind of nice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we're going to go. Um, Dylan is in town ish for, he's in Nilchik for the weekend. Maybe. And so we're going to go camp in Homer on Friday. And so he's going to come meet us in Homer on Friday and then stay for most of the day on Saturday, but they're having a, uh, like dental party for Dylan in an <laughs> We're going to bring him Girdwood brewing crawlers Dylan. and we're going to camp on the spit. So Sounds pretty ideal. It's going to be really nice. I'm pretty yeah. excited for it. Sounds really great. And then, yeah, I think we're doing the coastal trail tomorrow. Nothing much Ooh. happened last week, but this week is going to be like fun shit. Good. So that's nice. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you um, do your fun shit. I'm gonna. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Hey, what? question. Speaking of fun shit, what are you drinking? I hate you. Oh you my god. You have that one. Even oh if I had the ripple out of your mouth. You saw me. I did. I saw you. Um, I am drinking Unclau. I'm shocked. But it's really possible that I'm going to need a refill because I'm about halfway done with this one. That's fair. So. That's fair. Am I? I'm drinking un rosé. Ooh. Um, I have a broken tooth glass. My, my, my broken tooth glass. You're doing a little wine. Is this a is this a, a, a boxed wine situation? This one was a bottle. Um, I know. Buckle Ooh. up, folks. It was $6. Look at you. Um, thank you. No, we made uh, poke bowls tonight, and so we were like, what if we bust out that rosé for them poke bowls? Classy with it. Yeah. That is great. It was really great. Well, Well, I've I've already been incredibly welcomed. Thank you. I hand wrote mine this week. Oh, back to, like, OG me. Yeah, OG you. Um, You're going to hear... I thought that said crayon la (laughs) rosé. Close. It's gonna be like uh It's a color your own label. Cute. I would love that. I would genuinely love that. Um what year was your babe born? Well my my babe was born, you might say right on the cusp. Um she was born in eighteen ninety nine. Yeah, you're going first. But not by a whole lot. 
Okay. Okay. Not by a whole lot, but definitely going first. Uh, so there have been a few discussions about this woman lately that I've seen, um, but she's super dope, and so I don't care. We're going to talk about her some more because everybody should know about her. Great. Taylor. Yes. Have you heard of Ruth Ellis? No. Okay. You should. So we're going to talk about it. Uh, FYI, for people Googling, this is Ruth Ellis, the LGBTQ plus activist, not Ruth Ellis, the blonde British woman that was shot or hung or something. I don't know. Whenever you Google Ruth Ellis, whenever you, whenever you Google Ruth Ellis, all of these photos of this blonde woman in black and white show up and it's like the last woman to be executed in Britain or something. And the woman who oh. scared her killer in the face or whatever. Um, and so then I was like, how about Ruth Ellis LGBTQ plus? And it was like, oh, the activist. Yeah, for sure. Here's everything. I was like, come on, you guys. Amazing. Together. Anyway. Okay. So Ruth Charlotte Ellis, which by the way, I love cute. the name Charlotte. Oh, I love it so it's much. So cute. So Ruth Charlotte Ellis was born in Springfield, Illinois on July 23rd, 1899 to two parents who had both been born in the final years of slavery. She was the okay. youngest of she was the youngest of four children and the only daughter. Unfortunately, her mother died when she was a teen, when Ruth was a teen. Um, but her father was the first African-American mail carrier in Illinois. Wow. So Ruth was born 36 years after the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect and 15 years before the First World War started. And it was it, it obviously a time where the U.S. is particularly hostile to women, to women of color, and to gay people. And Ruth was all of those things. Great. Um, so there's some downers in this story, but it's a great story. So buckle up. Okay. Okay. So 1908, she's nine years old, or almost nine years old. No, she is nine years old. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm doing some month math in my head. Uh, month math. That's the hardest kind of math. I hate it. Month math and tit math are the two hardest kinds of math. Just take all my money. I, you're Just take great, it. And I'm sure that you're a wonderful person. And I work understand. You deserve it. Take my dollar bills. Delivery yeah. man from Panda Restaurant. Yeah. Just take them all. Take them. Uh, okay, so 1908. She's nine years old. Okay. And the Springfield riot happens. Brief history here. Um, but everyone should go look up this riot and learn because it's crazy. So two black men were arrested on charges of rape and attempted rape and murder of these two white women and one of the women's fathers. So this mob was like, hey, we'd really love to lynch those guys. And the sheriff was like, yeah, I figured you'd say that, so I moved them out of the city. So all of these white assholes freaked out. 5,000 white people between August 14th and August 16th destroyed dozens of black-owned businesses, uh, burned homes, murdered black people in the streets, they were enraged and the history of it for years was like so many more white people died than black people and more white businesses were burned and all this stuff. And it was just like false racist bullshit. Um, because it was obviously more aggressive towards the black people. Anyway, it's a whole, yeah. it's a whole long thing. We're doing brief history. Okay. So it drove a ton of black people out of Springfield and those that stayed were constantly harassed. But of those two black men that were originally the suspects, one of them was tried, found guilty and hanged and the other one was freed. And that riot was a catalyst for the formation of the NAACP. Wow. Yeah. So this happens in her hometown when Ruth is super young. But it said, despite hardships, she lived with exuberance. She loved dancing, bowling, painting, playing piano, and photography. Oh, my God. Such an important, wonderful detail. Those are some of the cutest hobbies. They're the most, like, joyful, artistic. Bowling. <laughs> bowling and dancing. Like, me too. Oh. So, 
when she's ni- when she's 16 years old in 1915, she's reading a psychology textbook and she was like, oh, oh, I'm a lesbian. And so oh she God. came out when she was 16, which already would have been dangerous for somebody with all the privilege in America at that time, not to mention a young black woman. But she said that she didn't really need to come out as her family was super accepting. And the way she talks about it, it's like they always knew, but now there was like a word for it. And they were like, oh. Oh, my God. In the early 1900s. In, the, in 1915. Oh, wow. teenager. And they were like, oh, yeah, cool. I love it. That's great. So she graduated high school in 1919. And at the time, less than 7% of African-American students graduated from secondary school. And then in 1936, she met her partner of 34 years and love of her life, Cecilene Franklin, but everybody called her babe. Extreme heart eyes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just the most heart eyes. The biggest heart eyes. Everybody called her babe. I love it. Wow. I'm obsessed. Um, so, yes. Can I sidebar you right now? You really can. I'm so, just in here. Me and Barbara and Lizzie and Fiona and Katrina have a Snapchat group called Babe Party. And Evan was trying to reference something that happened in Babe Party and tried to call it Babe Town. And he was like, wait, no, no, that's the other thing. And he was like, you call so many things babes. You just call everybody a babe. And he was like, you know, like, like you and Reagan and your podcast and your Snapchat group and like all those pigs in that movie. <laughs> and I was like, was I was like, you know, pig. I was like, I've never seen Babe. But then he told me. Apparently there was not just one pig. They had to have like 40 pigs because the piglets kept growing too fast during the course of that movie. And I was like, that's the cutest thing I've ever heard in my life. They literally had a babe town. That's the best. They had a babe town to film babe. I thought you meant the character babe. And I was like, no, there's just the one. (laughs) But that makes sense that the actors playing babe. There's 40 pigs. They're all named babe. They all look the same. <laughs> That's the cutest thing. Isn't that the cutest thing you've ever heard? Uh, so it's really fitting that we had that conversation like an hour and a half ago. And now yeah. your babe's babe is named Babe. Cute. All right. So Ruth and Babe. Here we go. Ruth and Babe. <laughs> I love it. So wow. Ruth was working for a printing company in Springfield. Wasn't stoked about her wages and heard that bigger cities were paying higher wages for the same job. So she and babe pack up. And in 1937, they moved to Detroit. And at first she worked as a nanny for a young boy and she was making $7 a week. Do you want to guess how much it is? Uh, it, wait, this is Seven. in 1930 something. Yes. 1937, $7 a week. Is that like $20 a week? $125. Oh my god, I'm so shitty at this game. I am too, but it's hilarious so that we always try and like do the math legitimately like wait, wait yeah. Well, okay. Uh, okay. We just we don't know. Consult my brain Rolodex of inflation. <laughs> like, uh, this number. I don't know. 100%. I don't know, times 2 plus a little bit. Sure. That's always what my brain does. It's like uh so it's oh. like 14 like uh, I don't know, $20. Nope. It was a little off. Um, we always underestimate inflation. That's what always. we do. So she works for Nanny for a little while, and then she was like, eh, I'm pretty good at printing. And she starts working for a company called Waterfield and Heath. And she worked there for a little while until she managed to open her own printing company out of the house that she and Babe lived in. And she became the first African-American woman to own a printing business in Detroit. Wow. So for a whole bunch of LGBTQ plus youth at the time, they couldn't get access to the white gay clubs or the black straight clubs. And so there was really like no place for them to go. Mm-hmm. So Ruth and Babe's home from 1946 to 1971 became known as the quote gay spot. Cute. And it was where everybody went to hang out. It was a safe place for the Detroit gay community, but they also offered lodging and support to all of the LGBTQ black youth that needed it. Um, It was like Ruth's passion to help all of these youth because a lot of them didn't have 
role models that were older than them. There was no one to be like, I've done it and you can do it too. And here's how. Wow. Yeah. Reading about it is the most uplifting thing in the world. So her specific passion was working with lesbians of color to get educations. And she often paid for their books or paid for their tuition because she wanted young lesbians of color to research their own history and their roots and to know where they came from and be proud of where they came from. And I love it so much. That's so good. Just so, so much. So she had this idea where she was like, what if we do like a big brother's big sister situation where younger gay people and lesbians can be matched as social companions with gay and lesbian seniors, according to similar interests so that they have role models. But at that time she was again, the only older LGBTQ plus person for a whole bunch of those youth. And a lot of those kids, when they came out to their parents, they were not only not accepted, but actively rejected. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a, there was a university of Chicago study. Let me see where I put it. Okay. So a lot of those kids lost their parental role models, moved to the streets and a university of Chicago study showed that 40% of homeless youth were LGBTQ plus. Wow. Yeah. Almost half. Um, so a lot of them saw Ruth as their only role model. And (laughs) there's this woman named Sarah and her grandparents died when she was super young. So she saw Ruth as the only grandmother she ever had. And she said that she was way better than any natural grandma that she could have had because Ruth was a lesbian. So they also had that to talk about. (laughs) And I was like, yes. Um, And in that article, just a separate thing, it said that Sarah met Ruth at a self-defense class when she was living in Detroit. Sarah was in her 30s. Ruth was in her 80s. Wow. I hope. I love the idea of any 80-year-old taking self-defense classes. I really hope that I'm taking self-defense classes when I'm 80. So I can be like, you want a piece of this? I will fuck you up. I will use With my cane. your weight and momentum against you, <laughs> motherfucker. Um, okay, so that brings us to the Detroit riots of 1967. Again, my God, this lady had multiple riots in her oh, home. My God, so many. Wow. Again, a super brief history. Please go look it up. It's very important. Um, so the Detroit Police Department at the time had 50 black cops. And so they were basically seen as a white army and there was rampant police brutality, racial discrimination, the whole nine yards. The story it's cool that everything has changed. It's so cool that everything's changed. So the whole city was in a period of economic and social strife. And it was obviously way worse for the black community that had been disenfranchised because systemic racism Um, so there was a white flight where all of the wealthier white people moved to the suburbs and then would commute into their businesses. And so then like random housing, um, units were empty and businesses were empty and boarded up. And so it just got worse and worse for those still living in the city. And it all came to a boiling point in 1967. So that is the briefest I can. Yeah. Um, the, Detroit riots were among the most violent and destructive riots in U.S. history. By the time the bloodshed, burning, and looting ended after five days, 7,000 National Guard and U.S. Army troops had been called to Detroit on the ground. More than 7,000 people were arrested, 1,700 stores were looted, and nearly 1,400 buildings were burned, causing around $50 million in property damage. Wow. 43 people were dead, 342 people were injured, and 5,000 people were homeless. Holy shit. It, and it was, at the time, the third, oh, no, because one of them was in 1992. I think up until recently, it was, like, the third biggest riot in U.S. history. Wow. Or now. Um, I don't have written proof of this. But I can only imagine that Ruth and Babe housed as many displaced youth as they could because that's what they did. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, more context. So Ruth and Babe did eventually split after 34 years. 
and Babe died of a heart attack on her way to work in 1973. But Ruth lived on in the strongest sense of the word. Soon after her 70th birthday, she's pretty much a celebrity in the LGBTQ plus community. She became a staple at the Michigan Women's Music Festival, which is now referred to as Mitch Fest. It was a feminist music festival that ran from 1976 to 2015. And let's bring it back. Holy shit. What? Yeah. yeah. I want that so I want much. That so badly. Oh my God. Yeah. It was like the now disbanded mission. And I was like, no, bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. Babetown uh, could be official sponsors. 100%. We have the money. Sure. Yeah, we totally totally have the money. Um, So on her 100th birthday, Ruth led the San Francisco Francisco Dyke March, which is an annual march for lesbian visibility and protest. And the entire march sang her happy birthday. And it makes my heart so... Oh, my God. It is still an annual march that happens in many cities across America during Pride Month. And it makes me so sad that it can't happen this year because disease. Everything is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so that same year, 1999, the Ruth Ellis Center was founded in Detroit, Michigan, which continues to offer lodging and support to LGBTQ plus youth in need today. Um, The center, however, will not turn away any youth in crisis, regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity. So they're like, you're a straight cis female. Great. You need help? Come in. We we got you. They're just the sweetest people. God, people like that. People like that give me pretty immense hope for humanity on the whole. Just reading through their website. If you need an upper, scroll through their website. It's the most uplifting, wholesome, wonderful thing. If anybody listening wants to donate, they accept donations. I'm just saying. So their services include a drop-in center, a street outreach program, licensed foster care home, and an integrated health and wellness center that provides medical and mental health care. It first opened directly across the street from a place called Palmer Park, where a lot of gay youth hung out, and a lot of them fell into sex work or found themselves in unsafe situations that they didn't want to be in. And so later it moved into a larger building down the street once they like kind of took off. Mm -hmm. But I just love the idea of them being like, no, we need to be here because this is where they need us most, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So uh, one of Ruth's friends named Kofi Adoma, fellow activist, fellow lesbian said, Quote, that's what we try to teach some of the kids at the Ruth Ellis Center. Be who you are, love yourself, respect yourself, and at the same time realize that you still live in a society that has yet to embrace our existence, unfortunately. She said that she and Ruth instantly bonded over being black lesbians with a passion for classical music and activism. I know. I know. Oh, my God. It's my heart is just warm. It's so great. Kofi said, for a lot of people, it felt like, quote, if she can do it and be happy and live a good life, why not us? And I just want to hug every youth that has been rejected or is questioning anything. Let me give you a hug. Ruth died in her sleep at her home on October 5th, 2001, at the age of 101. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Her ashes were scattered in the following women's festival and also into the Atlantic Ocean off Ghana. I'm not sure if that's where her family was from. I don't know, but that's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, The city of Detroit recognizes her contributions every February during Black History Month. And it said that they celebrate a Ruth Ellis Day, but I can't find which day it is. Yeah. I don't know. But there's Maybe it's like a moving target. (laughs) Yeah, there's a surprise Ruth Ellis Day out there. They just wake up in the morning, they're like... Seems like a Ruth Ellis day today. But today's the day. Yeah. Today's the day. Uh, she is in the Michigan Women's Hall of Fame. There is a documentary by Yvonne Welbun called Living with Pride, Ruth Ellis at 100 that was made in 1999. And I want to watch it so badly. Wow. 
Um, and in 2013, she was inducted into the Legacy Walk, which is an outdoor walking museum in Boys Town here in Chicago that I did not know existed. Um, but it's the only outdoor museum walk and youth education program dedicated to combating anti-gay bullying by celebrating LGBTQ plus contributions to history. Wow. Yeah. So there's just like it record it um, not records it showcases activists and allies throughout history to the gay community. And I can't wait. I'm going to go as soon as I can because I want to walk and cry and be happy. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is the story of Ruth Ellis. Wow. <laughs> really, really stellar job. That was a great time. She's so fucking cool. And I can't wait to show you the photos of her because she just looks so happy. Like... It's going to be a pleasant, beautiful surprise for me. Seriously, despite all of the shit that she went through, she just, like, she found the joy, and I think that's really cool. Oh. I love her. Okay, to source my shit, history.com, michiganradio.org, Wikipedia, Legacy Project Chicago, uh, an article on womenwhodared.omeka.net, by Amy French, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, the glsen.org website, which is apparently, it's an organization based in New York that ensures the value and respect of LGBTQ plus youth in schools um, that I didn't know existed, but if you are also looking for a place to donate, they accept donations. And then the ruthellacenter.org, which I wrote down their mission and their vision. It is our mission to create opportunities with LGBTQ plus young people to build their vision for a positive future. Our vision is a world where LGBTQ plus young people are safe and supported no matter where they go. Oh, man. Isn't that just the most wonderful thing you've ever heard? That's so great. Yeah. And, like, not even... Honestly, it's the bare minimum. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, not the... I don't mean to say that the center is doing the bare minimum because obviously they're doing everything that they can, but just they are safe and supported no matter where they go. That should be bare minimum for that human existence. That should be bare minimum yeah. for every human being. Yeah. And it's their vision. Oh, it's just uh, my heart. They're doing, they're doing good work. They're doing real good work. And I'm really happy about them. Go Detroit yeah. gay community. Uh, we should post a link. Okay. For our donation rounds. We can do that. Great. For sure. Um, Your turn. Great. Well, settle in. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm really excited about this lady. I, she is, she is one of these babes though, that um, there is not a whole lot of information about her life, but there is a lot of information about one particular story. Yeah. And I want this story to be made into a play or a movie, but I would really love a play of it sure. because it's so great. Some so lend themselves better to movies. Some lend themselves better to plays. I get it. Yeah. Um, so Reagan Taylor, have you ever heard of Alma Levant Hayden? No. First of all, the name Alma is one of my favorite names of, all time. Mm-hmm. I think it's so adorable. Mm-hmm. So that was like number one. I saw the name pop up and I was like, oh, and Aww. then I read the story. And I was like, wow, holy shit. Okay. Yeah. So Alma Hayden was born March 30th, 1927 in okay. Greenville, South Carolina. So like, not like, you know, right on the yeah. cusp of where yeah. you usually hit. Um, that's literally all that I could find out about her early life. Hey. More than the day we found she out about a lot of people. Where she was born. Um, so she graduated in 1947 from South Carolina State College. Um, she then attended Howard University for her master's program. So she went originally intending to become a nurse, but then she was taking all of these sciencey classes and she took chemistry and fucking loved it. Yeah. And she said, quote, she just didn't want to part from it. So Literally. she ended up 
graduating with a master's in chemistry. Amazing. Which, like, blows my mind, because I took one chemistry class in my undergrad, and it, it, it made me never want to think about chemistry ever again in my life. So... The only chemistry class I've ever taken was in high school, and we were flipping through the book, you know, when we were supposed to be paying attention or whatever, and we were like, um, does chapter 13 teach alchemy? Because isn't <laughs> that illy? And he was like, we don't talk about that chapter, moving on. And we were like, what? What? Yeah, it was a bonkers wow. class. Wow. I did not learn much. I have so many questions. Me too. Um, okay, so Alma was not learning alchemy. She was learning actual legit chemistry. Um, so after graduation, Alma joins the National Institute for Arthritis and Metabolic Diseases at the National Institute of Health. Like, right out the gate, she's fucking getting it. So she becomes quickly an expert in, in spectrophotometry, which sure. from the chemistry classes that I had, I recognized the name and that's about <laughs> it. Um, so basically it uses light to show the chemical makeup of a compound. Huh. So um, she huh. also excelled in something called paper chromatography, which uh, she used at least to screen for steroid compounds. Um, and, like, all of the photos of her are of her demonstrating how to do this. And they're Amazing. so cute. They're so cute. She's, like, in her lab coat and, like, got all her science in front of her. Oh, I just, all of her science. I love it. She's smarter than I will ever even dream about being. Sure. And I just, I'm obsessed. So um, after she works at the NHI, nope, the NIH, there, there it is. is. Woo! Okay, so much smarter than me ever. <laughs> she meets um, who would uh, eventually become her husband. He's another biochemist at the NIH, and that is basically all that you need to know about him. Um, so she eventually hops on over to the Food and Drug Administration. So she is one of the first minority employees of the FDA, and it's only... Well, I mean, probably not only, but the main reason for it is because FDA employees frequently have to testify in court and they didn't think that a black person testifying for any FDA regulations would play well in parts of the country. And since they're nationally implemented trials, they just didn't hire people of color because they thought it would be easier in certain parts of the country. They purposefully didn't hire people of color because they thought it would be easier so that people would trust them. Yeah. Because they knew that in parts of the country, they knew in parts of the country, people would not trust black people testifying, which is so, it's so fucked up on so many levels. The fact that that existed and the fact that the FDA knew it existed and was like, you know what? We'll totally play to that. If there is any, if there's um, any demographic that are untrustworthy, it's white people. It's wild. So um, Alma's one of the first minority employees. Um, I found a couple of things saying that she was probably the first, but that they didn't. There was no like solid yeah. record of it, but everybody was kind of like, yeah, she's probably her. Um, so in 1963. She is named the chief of the spectrophotometry research branch of the division of pharmaceutical chemistry. Like she is fucking killing Damn. it. Oh my God. Okay. Page turn. So Page now, turn. <laughs> now we're going to get in to some history for a second. Okay. We're going to jump topics. We're going to leave Alma for a minute in Washington and we're going to hop on over to Argentina. Sure. Um, where this guy, Steven Durovic, and his brother, Marco, have recently moved to Argentina. They were both from Yugoslavia, but they fled at the beginning of the Second World War, ended up in Argentina. Um, so while they're there, Steven is a doctor, and he decides that he wants to develop a cure for cancer. Cool. Good for him. Um, so he starts working with horses. There's a whole bunch of science that I don't really understand, um, 
basically they found some compound that made certain tumors in horses and bovines shrink. And so he took the serum from the horse's blood and got it, developed it into some white powder, basically. Okay. Um, is that, so then is that cocaine? That's it's is cocaine. That how we got cocaine. Cocaine everywhere. No, it's not. <laughs> he calls it cribiozin. Okay. Cocaine. Cocaine. Um, <laughs> so, so him and his brother Marco, they're like, this shit is gonna cure cancer. It's gonna be great. They put all of this, these like this like white powder into these little pills, and they take it up to Chicago because they're like, okay, well, if we're gonna try and market it it will gain more traction in Chicago than it would in Argentina. So they come up to Chicago um, and they hit up a dude named Andrew C. Ivey, who is a doctor in Chicago. And this guy is problematic from start to finish. Like he... Beautiful. He apparently is responsible. Apparently in 1952, there were two communities in Illinois and Ohio, I want to say, that... um, like kids started getting their blood types tattooed on their arm. And it's because this guy went to the Nuremberg trials after world war two and saw that the Nazis had done that. And he was like, that's a great idea. And so he's the one that kind of, so like problematic start to finish. And it, he's real problematic in this story, especially. So I feel like if you're looking at something that the Nazis did and you find yourself thinking, Hey, that's a pretty good idea. Stop. Yeah. Don't do that. Right. Do the opposite of that. Go read a book by a person of color. Yeah. And like really reevaluate your entire life. (laughs) So Andrew Ivy teams up with Steven and his brother, Marco. Um, Marco is not really in the story. Steven is a doctor. So it's really Steven and Andrew that team up. Um, Andrew at this point, he is the VP of the University of Illinois. So he's like got some clout. Um, he's also the head of like a bunch of different boards and shit. So he is very into Cribiozin. He's like, yep, this is going to totally work. We're going to sell the shit out of this and we're going to make a lot of money. Right. So this is like number one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're in for, they're in it to, to sell it to and sell make it. a bunch of money. Um, so they start administering it, him and Steven. Um, they claim in one news conference that it had eliminated tumors and helped pain in up to 20 of, uh, in, in 20 out of 22 patients they had. Um, so they're touting it as like this miracle cure for cancer. People are getting into it. People are getting excited about it because of course they are. Like if you or a family member has cancer and somebody is suddenly telling you, yeah, I've got a pill that can cure it. But of course you're, yeah. Of course you're going to be excited about it. So, meanwhile, medical professionals are skeptical as fuck, and they're like, "Is this doing what you are saying it does?" So, years before this, there had been a big scare um, with faulty drugs, and so the FDA had gotten a lot more, um, a lot more power in in testing drugs and making sure that they're okay to go out to market. So in comes our girl Alma. She's like, all right, I got this. So her team requests a sample of Cribiozin and Andrew and Steven are super hesitant to give them any, like they give them just barely enough to where Alma's team was like, I don't know if this is enough for us to actually even be able to test it. Like they gave them barely any, and she's like, no, no, no. Like a huge red flag. Like, huge red flag. Oh, you wanna, you wanna make sure this works like we've been saying it does. Here's a, a, a quarter of a gram or whatever. It's so so tiny, what? so tiny. So um, they finally they get a hold of the sample size, and then suddenly it's like a trial. Like all of these articles that I read, it was them testing this became like a trial. So. Um, she, in September of 1963, she opens the sample with other government appointed people there working with her, but she is the one who did it. Um, so she opens the sample and she removes a microgram for testing. 
She runs it through an infrared spectrophotometer, um, compared it to known substances, which literally just meant that she compared it starting at A and worked her way through B and C. So like thousands of substances she's trying to figure out. Um, and she compares it until she finally gets a match, which is creatine. Page turn. The FDA <laughs> calls creatine, quote, an amino acid derivative plentifully av available for meat in the ordinary diet. You can get creatine supplements through GMC. <laughs> like, it's nothing. It's just yeah. a regular-ass protein. So, um, and Alma's the one that fucking found it out. So then people were pissed. People were so mad. No, no, but probably not in the direction that you think that they were mad. Are they mad at Alma? People were mad at her. People were mad at the government for thinking oh, that they weren't pursuing that they weren't pursuing a viable cancer treatment option. So then it goes to trial. The whole creatine cribiosin scandal goes to trial. It's on trial for eight and a half months. They have so many people on both sides testifying. Alma is one of them. Yeah, girl. And testifying for the FDA, pleading her case, not even pleading her case, just stating facts that she found out. Um, eventually, uh, they, they did find it fraudulent, but there was a loophole in Illinois law to where they didn't actually ban it from being sold for a decade. So it wasn't actually banned in Illinois until 1973. There's a really great long form Chicago Tribune article about Krabiosin, but it doesn't really mention Alma, <laughs> which is a real real bummer the biggest um, oversight yeah so unfortunately alma did not get to see the eventual ban of the drug she died in august of 1967 of cancer which is terrible um so there's not a whole lot of info out there about her life as a whole like that's pretty much all i could find all of yeah. the articles were regurgitating the same information which is yeah. a shame um but i do kind of like to think that she would be stoked to know that like her getting a fraudulent cancer drug off the market is what she, she is known for. for. Mm -hmm. That's so great. That's so great. And I it's huge. That's why I mean, I'm editorializing, but I would imagine that's why you go into working at the FDA is to keep yeah. fraudulent, scary drugs from giving people a false hope and B yeah. Like, they could be getting treatment. They could be getting actual treatment in yeah. the time that they're taking your fake-ass drugs. Mm. So I like to think that she would be, like, stoked about that. I and all the photos good. of her are so great. She's just, like, in her lab coat, just, like, digging chemistry. Good for her, man. The uh, world needs people that dig chemistry. A hundred percent. And the world needs people like fucking Alma. Yeah. Ugh. So, yeah, that's the story of wow. chemist Alma Hayden. That's crazy. It's so upsetting to me that people were mad at her. I know. I mean, probably not, like, directly at her, but, like, I know, but at like, her team and at her findings, for sure. Sorry we helped you. I, I... Like, there were whole protests. Like, people were out oh there with, like, God. signs and shit. Like, it's creatine. It's not, it's nothing. It's I bet nothing. those people really wanted haircuts. You know oh my I mean? god, a hundred percent. They really wanted their gyms to open up. Did you see that really stupid protest of people who were protesting their gyms where they were yeah. working on the sidewalk? Yeah, it was like further proving that you can work out anywhere. You don't fucking need your gym open. What? You dumb dicks. You dumb. Oh, god. Yeah, it's something. Um, to source my shit. Yeah. Real quick. Um, Wikipedia, obviously. Uh, the Chicago Tribune article written by Ron Grossman, Krabiosin, the cancer cure that was a fraud. Um, the NIH website had a whole blurb about Alma, which is great. Um, and then there was a Washington Post article by a guy named John Kelly. And the, the headline is lengthy, but it's one of my favorites. It's the doctor said it could cure cancer. The federal chemist proved that it couldn't. <laughs> yes. I love the yes! post, man. Dude. So Anytime I can it. find a post article about any of these babes, I jump on it. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Sweet chemist. Good for her, dude. Alma Hayden. Also, thank you, Alma, because yeah. yikes. Scary, dumb shit off of the market. Wow. Yeah. I wonder if those, like, 20 of 22 cases, so, like, how many of those were horses? Well, and so, like, that was part of the issue that a lot of these, like, uh, medical professionals that thought it was super skeptical, they they were like, hey, this is a not a sample size, like sample sizes should be in the hundreds. Um, and B, they're not like, like all of the, there was no control group, there was no double blind testing, like there, it was all of the ways that you prove a drug. Yeah, it didn't do. So they were like, okay, well, like, if you're saying that this is a miracle cure, then let us actually test it. Yeah. Because if it does what you say it does, you should want that. Then yeah, you're fine. Right. Uh, you want it to be tested and be produced because then you'll make a shitload of money. Sucks. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Good job, dude. That's a very Thanks. cool story. Thanks. Isn't that, wouldn't that be a great play, though? That would be a great play. It'd be a great play. Yeah. Mm. What would you call it? I love, I love, and also it bums me out, these babes, where there's just, like, one story about them that you can find, yeah. you know? Because I'm like, no, I want to know, like, what else she did. Like, yeah. if this it's, was, like, the main, her main, you know. I feel like it happens thing. a lot for the scientists or inventors or, you know, they have, like, their one thing that's, like, why they, uh, lawyers, like, why they yeah. came to the public sphere and Google knowledge. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. Yeah. I'm very thankful for her though. Honestly. Wow, dude. So cool. Yikes. So cool. So cool. Yeah. And I love that like they, the FDA wasn't hiring people of color because they were worried about how their optics would look with them testifying. And then fucking Alma shows up, says what's what, Ends up testifying, beats it. Oh, God, it's just so good. It's just the best. But that's another example of how ingrained racism is in every single level of this fucking country. Mm -hmm. The FDA was allowed to purposefully avoid hiring people of color because they were like, well, I mean, they're not trustworthy. Yeah. Let's burn the system to the ground. Let's do it. Let's start over. Want to? Uh, speaking of, did you see that? John Oliver? Well, yes, but uh, I'm not going to talk about that yet because, spoiler alert, that's your that's babe. my babe. Not, I mean, it's a good segue, so I'm just going to jump on in to my babe of the week. Do it. Yeah, jump. If people have questions about what defund the police means, they should watch that John Oliver clip because it's so informational and so nobody is saying that we are going to completely get rid of a police force. That is not what anyone is saying. We're saying that it has to be rebuilt because it is not working. So it's got to change. And um, I, I didn't know. And he pointed out in, in the thing that, Camden, New Jersey already did it seven years ago. They already did it and it's worked. Yeah. Like it's not a new idea. It funnels the police and lets them focus on what they need to focus on, not responding to every little thing that goes wrong that needs social workers and people trained in therapy and trained in mental health and trained in all of these in, you know, rehabilitation and de-escalation like yeah send people to those calls that are trained for those calls so yeah so i mean john oliver definitely is is a great a great this week and his writing and researching team his writing and researching team and the way that he ended that episode where he just played that clip that's our show good night from kimberly jones and let her say it for him. Because she can say it best. 
because she can say it best. And and just ending his show, nothing more. They didn't have any frills. He started off saying, yeah, we're going to talk about this because we have to. This is the only thing to be talking about. And there were no cutaways. There were very few jokes. Like, Evan and I were both like, that was a near-perfect episode of, of Last Week Tonight. It was, it was incredible. It was so informative and so um, aware that he, I mean, it, that was part of it that I love too, is that he was so aware that he is not the person that people should be listening to right now. <laughs> but he has this platform. And but he, he has the platform. Well yeah. To, to amplify other voices. I it was think. so great. I think, I mean, I've never had an episode Shit of. on some shitty cops. I've never had an episode of John Oliver that I've thought, oh, I don't know, he kind of missed the mark on this one. But this one has, it was, it was great. It was so good. I really need um, to go find some recent Trevor Noah episodes um, because I'm sure that they are really top notch. Yeah, he's hitting the mark too. I mean, obviously he's hitting the mark. He hits the yeah, mark on. Grew up in South America or South Africa, like basically everything. Yeah. Um, I am looking up really quick to make sure, because I have two babes. John Oliver is one of them, and I want to make sure that I don't fuck up this guy's name. Yeah, okay. So um, on Instagram, I've recently started following lots of black activists and black creators because I, in in the last week and a half, realized... Yeah, wow, my Instagram feed is real white. So it's let's super, yeah, mine too, that. and let's change it. Let's change it. So um, I have kind of been, uh, I don't know, collecting different people's recommendation lists of like, hey, if you're looking for people of color to follow, here are great ones. Um, and I started following this guy Carlos Whitaker, and he's great. It's great. It's so he's he just posts Instagram live videos all the time, like every day of questions that people are asking him in his DMs. And he's like, hey, like, here are my experiences and here's how I would answer this. And it's solid. He's an author. Um, I super, super recommend his name on Instagram is L-O-S-W-I-H-T, Los Wit. Um, So everyone go follow him. It's been really really lovely and he's it's such a um it's such a he he is doing what people should not have to be doing right now where he is truly just trying to educate people and that is not on him to have to do and it's so cool that he is doing that because and he's pointed it out a couple of times where he's like, hey, guys, like, I'm exhausted. Like, this is an exhausting. I cannot even imagine. It's an exhausting time, and it's exhausting having to explain all the, of this. But. The patience of hearing very privileged but, like, offensive questions mm-hmm. where it's like, how, how do you – okay, yeah. let me – Explain this to you. Yeah. And he just was really guilty of it. We've all been guilty of it. But yeah. the best thing I think that we can do is say, I've been guilty of it and I will try to do better. And, and like learn. Google exists, you guys. Like Google exists. Books exist. Like, go do your own research. Go figure it out. Yeah. And he's I mean, he's been a really, really great he's very I don't know. It's just, he's just a very soothing person to have on my feet and he just has such interesting perspectives. And, um, anyway, that was my long winded double babe. No, I, I mean, don't feel sorry or whatever. That was exactly what needed to be said and was great. And mine's kind of the same thing. I don't really have a set like person or account, but I've spent the last week doing what I can. And, um, I did the same thing where I kind of took stock of my Facebook feed, my Instagram feed. And I was like, wow, this is real white. Mm-hmm. And like, yes, there's a person of color here or there, or there's an indigenous person here or there, but like 
the majority of it is real white. And rather than sitting in the guilt of that, acknowledge it and change it. Yeah. There's something you can do about it. Yeah. And so it was like, Oh, this sucks. Okay. Let's what, you know, what can we do? And so I've been trying to spend my week gathering, um, black owned business accounts that I love that I, once I have money again, I'm excited to support. I want to support, um, bookstores, Etsy shops, uh, artists. There's a woman. Oh my gosh. I'm absolutely going to post her. Okay. There's an artist who I'm pretty sure she's here in Chicago, but she creates paintings that are quilts. And it's such, it's such intricate quilt work that you would never, ever, ever, ever know that it's a quilt unless you see the full out, like her whole setup with the, the huge sewing machine and everything. Or if somebody was like, yeah, that's a quilt. Or if you touched it, like just seeing a photo of it, it looks like a painting. It's she's so cool. She's so, so cool. I'm going to find her name right now. Just so I like, I'm going to post all of these, but man, Um, I'll link it to her Twitter too, if you'll send me her Twitter. I don't know that I know her Twitter, but I will find it. Okay, Bisa Butler is her name. But like, that's a quilt. It's a fucking quilt. What? Like, it's a it's a quilt. My God. This is the most recent one where it's like a video. I'll send you the things so you can actually, but you can like see the stitching once she like videos around it and you can see how it's an actual literal quilt. It's the coolest thing I've ever fucking seen, but I've been finding all of these things that I'm like, there are a bajillion black owned businesses out there and I wish that I could promote all of them, Mm -hmm. but I, I can't. And so I'm like, these are the ones that are my style and that I am excited to purchase from whenever I have money again, whenever I'm not in quarantine and I'm actively working again. Like I cannot wait to get stuff from them. And so I've been like collecting lists and be like, do you, Hey, theaters, do you need black playwrights so that you can write some plays that aren't the same David, Man- Tennessee, William, you know, I mean, fling, fling, yeah. fling, fling, fling. here are some black artists. And playwrights and whatever. And so I've been trying to collect. So anyway, if you could send me a list of your favorite um, speakers, activists, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm just going to spam the Instagram Great. all week with like, do you like T-shirts? Great. Here are some, you know, do you like books? Right. You know, whatever. Um, and it's been it's been really, really cool to dive deep into different artists' work and different artists' styles. Yeah. And I cannot wait to get some artwork for this apartment or a future home or whatever. Like, I can't afford to commission anything. I wish I could. But to get some prints, to get some... It's just going to be really, really cool. Yeah. I'm really stoked. So to all of the... Like black indigenous people of color, but specifically right now, black artists, musicians, spoken word, poetry. I mean, there's so many incredibly creative, talented people out there if you just go look. And if you're listening and you have your own lists of your favorite black owned businesses, hit us up because we want to hear them. And that's we'll honestly in this bullshit capitalist, whatever. That's the best way that we can help in my, in my opinion. I mean, I'm white. I don't know. But like, let's send our money to the people that we support, that we say we yeah. support. Yeah. Let's keep actively, physically and fiscally supporting them. Yeah. I want to go back to work. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. <badly>. Yeah. <sighs> Anyway, I guess that's, those are my babes. I, don't I know, know. It's, it's kind of this like nebulous thing right now where I'm just like, man, all these people that are doing really good work. 
are my babes. Yeah, I'm so inspired by so many people. Yeah. And the protesters and the people that are collecting supplies outside of jails to help protesters when they get out. And there are so many people on the ground every day risking COVID. Well, if you're still listening, thank you very much. We appreciate you. We really appreciate you guys. Um, Make sure that you subscribe to us. We haven't touted ourselves for a minute. So just forget that people will do that. Hit us up at Babetown Pod. It's on Gmail and it's on Twitter and it's on Instagram and it's on Facebook. It's all the same. Um, We would love to hear your babes or your favorite black activists or speakers or businesses or artists. Let us know. We will repost them religiously um we will link to more donation funds including the ruth ellis center hell yeah i love that um and yeah we appreciate guys we really really do you guys are the best and honestly this is the best and you know what what can i say but but i love this i love you i love you <laughs> and i love this I love this. I still have your hoop because I'm the fucking worst. Dude, you're fine. But it exists, I promise. I'm excited. I mean, if you photoshopped that and didn't actually make it, that would also be impressive, but a weird commitment to a lie. It would would be weird, but I could probably get behind that kind of weird. Yeah. You know? That's that's fair. Well, I'm going to go watch cartoons with my husband now. You do it. I'm going to probably... I don't know what we're going to do. But I'm probably going to get some more wine for it, whatever it is. You should. I'm super endorsed that. I'm going to. Mm-hmm. All right, friend. Love you, friend. Love you. Goodbye. Talk to you this week. Yeah. Bye. Bye.